0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, where Paul read for us a little earlier. I've entitled the morning's message, The Light of the World. And we'll pick up chapter 11, verse 22 through 25, where Paul was reading for us earlier. And then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. And then the Spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea, or Babylon, to those in captivity. And the vision that I had seen went up from me. And so I spoke to those in captivity of all the things That the Lord has shown me. What has happened as we make our way through the book of Ezekiel? um, We went through verse by verse, chapter by chapter on Wednesday evening. Um, Ezekiel, as we read this this morning, is in Jerusalem, but he has been ministering to the captives who are in Babylon. And remember that um, there's still a king reigning in Jerusalem. His name is Zedekiah. And Jerusalem has already been attacked twice by King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's why there's people in captivity in Babylon. He is there to make sure that they understand that they're going to be there for the next 70 years. The problem is it's a very unpopular message and he, he's got to contend not only with false prophets male, but as we're going to see this morning, he has to deal with the false prophetesses that are also prophesying the same message. Don't worry about a thing. Everything's going to be fine. And you're going to be going home. And don't listen to the negativity of this uh, man. And so what happens, if, if you go back to chapter 8, Verse three. It's in the sixth year and the sixth month that Ezekiel is in Babylon. But then in verse three, two and three, he he sees what is also recorded in Revelation four and five. And this is the appearance of uh, the one that sat on the throne. It's the the Father Himself. In verse three, we're told that he stretches out like a hand, and he took a lock of my hair. That would be Ezekiel. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. So he's being moved. He's being taken from um, Babylon and delivered and deposited in Jerusalem. It sort of reminds me of Philip in the Ethiopian as soon as Philip baptized the Ethiopian, it says the spirit caught him away, and he was found at Azotis, which is about 20 miles north. The same thing is happening here. It's not just a vision that he's having. He's in Jerusalem, and um, I'll explain that more fully when we get a little bit farther in. But the reason that the Lord is taking him there is he wants to show Ezekiel what is happening And how bad things have really gotten in Jerusalem. And then he's going to take him back to Babylon so that he can tell the people, this is really what's coming down in Babylon. So um, here's where he's taken chapter 8, verse uh, 3. And while he is in Jerusalem, all of the rest of this chapter talks about the sins that are going on. They're worshiping this image in verse 5 and 6. Um, they're they're weeping for Tammuz, a Babylonian god. Verse 15 and 16, they're actually worshiping the sun. If you turn over to chapter 12, where we left off on Wednesday, he's foretelling what's going to happen to King Zedekiah, who is on the throne. And he does it in the form of an illustration. And the first part of this working up to verse 13 is he's digging a hole in the wall. He's... Pretending that he's escaping. But he's doing it so that the people will see it happen. And then when we get to verse 13, it says, chapter 12, I will also spread my net over him, and he will be caught by my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Now, on Wednesday, what I did is I had to go to 2 Kings 25, verse 7. I won't this morning, but I'm going to tell you what happened there. This is when the city is just about ready to fall. And King Zedekiah realizes it's over. So what does he do? He digs a hole in the wall. And he hightails it, it says in 2 Kings. All, he makes it all the way down to Jericho. And when he gets to Jericho, the Babylonians catch up with him. And they take him... Um, to the king. They bring out his sons. They kill his sons in front of his eyes. And then they take out Zedekiah's eyes and then they take him to Babylon. So when we read in verse 13, I'm gonna catch him while well, they cut him in Jericho. And then I'm gonna take him to Babylon, but he's not gonna see it. So unless you have the background to Second Kings 25, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. He ends up and he dies There, it's a fact of history. That's exactly what happened. It should also be mentioned that he is the last king to reign because from here on out, the next 70 years, those who survive are going to be in captivity in Babylon. Now, in chapter 13, the whole chapter is divided into two sections. Verses 1 through 16 is judgment upon the false prophets. And in verses 17 through 23, the women were actually getting into prophesying and they were making little doilies and they were doing it uh, for a price for pieces of bread and um, so they basically they were on the take. They were making these little scarves and they were saying, things like prophesying, say, take this and um, you'll be healed. Remember when the t- TV evangelists would get up there and they'd say, we've just prayed over this handkerchief. And if you're sick and if you send in this donation, it's been prayed for, prayed for, it is bona fide. And we'll send it to you and if you put it on your body, you will be healed. Anybody ever get taken by one of those scams? They're not as popular as they, they used to be. But we used to get them here in the mail, these special prayer rugs uh, that were anointed. <laughs> this is what's going on here. But the main thing they were doing is telling the people that judgment is not coming, and this is back in Babylon now. And you, the, the false prophets were saying, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about a thing. You're going home soon. And that's all of chapter 13. Um, there were two different kinds of people that Ezekiel encountered in Jerusalem. And you need to turn to chapter 9. And um, I'll work my way up to verse 4. So Ezekiel 9. We have an angel that has an inkhorn on his side and a writing pen. And we read that the angel um, says in verse four, and the Lord said to him, I want you to go through the midst of the city, and I want you to mark the city of Jerusalem, and mark on the foreheads um, all the men who are sighing and crying over the abominations that were done in it. In other words, there was a group of people that we at in chapter 8, that we're weeping for Tammuz, that we're into sun worshiping, that hey, we worshiping images, and that would have been the majority. But there were a minority of people that were cut to the heart. They were brokenhearted. And the Lord said, I want you to mark those guys. I want you to put a mark on the ones that are crying and, and that are going, <sighs> can it get any worse? And he says, because those are the ones who are going to live And the other ones, when we read verse five, to the others, he said in my hearing, go after and through the city and kill. Don't spare your eye and don't have any pity. So the ones who had the mark, they lived. Why did they live? Because they were grieved with the sin of their nation. And we could sure get sidetracked here with uh, what's going on in our own country. We talked about it a little bit last week. I mentioned we're going to, to Israel on Wednesday, and somebody said, Aren't you afraid? And I said, No, I'm afraid to go to Chicago. <laughs> 88% increase from 2015 to 2016 in killings. 88%. And um, lawlessness is abounding. And um, I couldn't, if I, I don't have a child uh, in kindergarten age group, but I would never send them to school. Because um, what's being enforced in across our country right now is part of the teaching in kindergarten classes that uh, they be instructed uh, and informed to decide what sexual identity they are, male or female. And gang, if that doesn't make you t- hang your head and sigh and cry, then that's what we've gone to. I also quoted, I kept up, As of last week, it was 58,287,000, I don't remember the rest, of babies that have been killed. Since 73, since Roe v. Wade. That's what's happened to our country. And that should cause us. One of the main points of the study this morning is, uh, is I like Randy's song. Life's tough, but God's good. And we live in a country just like Ezekiel lived in. And there were people. That were grieved that were cut to the core because how how bad things really are, so if you 're bummed out by what 's going on in our nation you 're in good company, and you 're marked, and, and the lord is is noticing so put a mark we read on those, and um, they 're going to live, and the ones that are involved with the idolatry they 're going to die and then Ezekiel uses signs and illustrations to persuade the people in captivity that they're going to, to be there uh, for 70 years. Go to chapter 12 and verses 17 through the rest of that chapter. Um, we have the signs of trembling. And he is using an illustration. The Lord says, Ezekiel, I want you to take a piece of bread and I want you to take it, but I want your hand to be trembling like this when you put it to your mouth. And then I want you to take some water And take their water and and let it be like you're going like this, because it's going to be a sign that it's going to get so bad. Um, You know, even uh, this was then, but the Lord said, uh, the time is going to come when men's hearts are going to fail them for fear, when they see the things that are coming upon our earth. Well, verses 17 through the rest of this chapter is an illustration but it's to make the point. Jerusalem is gonna be so fearful that they they won't be able to hold their hand still because of the fear, and he said, use it as a sign, Ezekiel. Use it as an illustration and let them know in no uncertain terms you guys are gonna be in captivity for 70 years, all right? They wouldn't listen. And because they wouldn't listen The day was fast approaching when Solomon's temple is going to be burned to the ground. Which brings us to our text, because the people wouldn't listen. When we go to our text in chapter 11, verse 22, we find that the Lord, let's read it again. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. What's happening here? The temple's about to be destroyed. But before the temple is destroyed, the presence of God is on the move. It's up, moving towards the gate, and um, is on the east side of the city and stood on the mountain. Now in Jerusalem where the Dome of the Rock is, and that area used to be where the temple was, you would have what we call the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. You would go down the valley, which is called the Kidron, and you would go up um, past the Garden of Gethsemane. And when you get to the top, you're on the top of the Mount of Olives. So what we have here is a picture of the glory of God departing the temple, going by the East Gate, and alas that Ezekiel sees, of the glory of God, happens to be on the Mount of Olives. Um, This morning, what I'd like to do, I'm going to leave you hanging with that thought just for a second. Uh, What I'd like to do is I'd like to look at the similarities between the Old Testament and the New Testament of God's glory, where it first appears. And then number two, the results of the people who heard the word of God uh, and believed in it and contrasting it with those who also heard the word of God but got caught up in the idolatry. And to begin our study, the first place where um, the Shekinah presence of God is manifested, I need you to turn to Exodus chapter 34. And while you're turning to Exodus 34, in Exodus 3, we read, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses uh, in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And we have the presence of, and the, the glow of the Lord speaking. Well, how do you know it was the Lord speaking? Well, because I, I watched the Ten Commandments, and there was Charlton Heston. And a voice came out of the bush and said, Moses. That's pretty close, such not thing. Yeah, pretty close. And it said, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Now, um, whenever a man would worship an angel, just because angels are overwhelming, without, without exception, they're always in her, flat in their face and they're scared to death. And the angel says, don't be afraid to stand up, and none of this worship stuff, because I'm just a servant too. Now, not in this case, this is not an angel. This is uh, Shekinah, glory, and God himself speaking to Moses. Joshua experienced it the night before he took Jericho. He wanted to be alone. And he was thinking of, of what was going to happen next. And all of a sudden... Um, The commander of the Lord is his title, appears to Joshua. And Joshua looks at him and he says, Are you for us or are you against us? And the commander of the Lord said, No. And I'm thinking, If I'm Joshua, you didn't understand the question. (laughs) He says, But first do this take off your sandals, Joshua. Take off your sandals. Who is the commander of the Lord? No angel would ever say that. This was the Lord himself. So the commander of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, is there. And uh, he says, as a commander of the Lord of hosts. And it was one of those places where worship was required and uh, removal of sandals was necessary. So now we have in Ezekiel 34, uh, the result of Moses Standing in the presence of a holy living God, we read in verse 39 so it was when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Being in the presence of God had a physical effect on Moses. And it even tells us that his face was veiled for a period of time because of the glory of God that illuminated and came from um, being in the presence of God. That's the first place I believe we have a reference to the Shekinah glory. The next time is in First Kings. I'm going to have you turn there. First Kings chapter 8. What we're studying in Ezekiel right now is the presence of God leaving Solomon's temple. Where I'm taking you now in 1 Kings 8 is when the presence of God first arrives at Solomon's temple. So in verses 1 through 9, what we have, the temple is completed. And we have the Ark of the Covenant being the last thing that needs to be done and it's taken into what is called the holy of the holies behind the veil and we read that there was verse 9 there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land so the very last thing This we would call this a dedication and he's dedicating this Uh, To the Lord. But in verse 10, we have the next place where the Shekinah glory appears. Verse 10 It came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So here is where it was dedicated. And uh, it remained there for the next uh, 410 years until our text this morning, because this temple that is being dedicated here is about to be destroyed. And so we have God coming here and and abiding here for 410 years. And this should be obvious to all. And David says so in the Psalms, that heaven itself cannot contain our God. Good place for an amen. He says, I measure this universe with the span of my hand. That's how big the universe is Of God. Not about that big. And um, so to say that God is self-contained in his 15 by 15 room is absurd. But he allows part of his presence, part of his Shekinah glory to be there. And it was there for the next 410 years until the temple's about to be destroyed. And the last thing Ezekiel sees Is it rising, going to the top of the Mount of Olives? And it's gone. All right, let's move on to the New Testament. The first time we see God's um, manifesting his glory is in Matthew chapter 17. So I'm gonna have you turn in there, please. Peter, James, and John seem to be in the inner circle. God is no respecter of persons, so I don't think he liked them best. But I think Peter, James, and John were hungry. That's my take on it. I think they wanted as much as the Lord as they could get. And I think the Lord honored that. Because we know that he's not a respecter of people. Amen? Um, I, think, I think he likes me more than Todd Darling, but I'm not. He, he told me that the other day. So everybody else, you're equal. But, you know, the Lord likes me better than, than Todd. I gotta live with a guy for the next two weeks. I thought I'd get an early punch in. <laughs> so we fight in Matthew chapter 17, Peter, James, and John. They were privy to be with the Lord when he was glorified. Verse one of chapter 17. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and his brother, brought him up on a high mountain by themselves, and was transfigured before them. Notice, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And so here he is, and he allows Peter, James, and John to see the glorified body of Jesus. And his face shone, and even his clothes were as white as light. And then all of a sudden Moses and Elijah show up. Well, this is all Peter could handle. Peter had never had any problems with giving his opinion or offering advice, and he does so here. Oh, this is great, Lord. We should build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he's rambling on. And while he's rambling on, we have in verse 5, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And Peter's all caught up with Moses and Elijah and the Lord is trying to direct Peter back to where he should be. For those of you who are dealing with people who do not believe in the Trinity, they say things like, ah, oh, the Trinity, the name's not even in the Bible. And you know what? They're right. But the Trinity is all over the Bible. I mean, begin with Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, Elohim. El is singular for God. Elohim is plural. And then you have the spirit brooding over the water. So in the first, and then in verse 26, the Lord says, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. So you have the Trinity from Genesis one. We have it at the baptism, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit descending, and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Father's in heaven, spirit's descending, Jesus is being baptized. The Trinity is all over the, the scripture. And, and we find it here in chapter 17. So this here is a manifestation of God's glory that's visual, that was actually seen by Peter, James, and John. The first time it came upon a group of people, you need to turn to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, of course, it's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit was first poured out, again, the glory of God, it could be seen and it could also be heard. So verse one, now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting so it could be heard. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it goes on to explain that these other tongues were actually dialects because they heard them speaking the wonderful things in these languages from verses um, Verse 8, and how is it we hear each of our own languages. But they were understood by people who didn't understand that language. They were speaking in in tongues. So here, again, we have visual tongues of fire upon them and also the sound as a manifestation of the Spirit of God. It happened individually to a man, if you turn to Just a couple pages to Acts chapter six. This day Peter got up after this event, because there were those who were mocking, and they said, These guys are drunk. And Peter said, They're not drunk. They're fulfilling that which was prophesied um, from the Old Testament that this day would come. And then he preached the gospel, and three thousand people get saved. And what do you do with 3,000 people who are coming from all over the world? They need to get rooted and grounded. They need to get some spiritual food, some maturity before they're sent back. So for a short period of time in the early church, they lived communally. And they shared what they had. But it also created a problem for the disciples and the apostles because their, their job was to teach their job was to pray and now they have all this other stuff that needs to be done so they look in chapter 6 it says look among yourself and pick out seven men verse 3 they should have a good reputation they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit they must have wisdom and put them over the matter of taking care of all these new baby Christians make sure that uh, uh, that they're fed make sure that they're taken care of, verse 4 says, so that we can give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And um, so Stephen was one of these men. We read about him in verse 8. One of them, was his name was Stephen, he was full of faith and power, uh, did great wonders and signs, so he had the gift of miracles in operation amongst the people. Philip was another one of these men uh, that was part of this, of this team here. Um, what, what happened is there rose up uh, some men who came down hard on Stephen. And we read in verse 13, they, they set up false witnesses, um, saying that this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place. And um, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. So here's Stephen. He's standing before these men that are railing on him and they're false witnesses. But what I want you to notice, it says in verse 15, and all who sat in a council looked steadfastly at him, Stephen, and they saw his face as a face of an angel. I believe that Stephen was shining. <laughs> I believe that that face of that angel was glowing. And you say, Dwight, do you really believe that stuff? Well, I, maybe I wouldn't have, except I had it happen to me once. The year was 1973. It was a prayer meeting. Holy Spirit was so thick you could cut it with a knife. Sometimes it's just that still small voice and you're just kind of aware. And, uh, but not this day. This was different. The Lord came, just doing a special thing, and I remember the, the spirit falling on me, and I felt like I was glowing. And then somebody looked at me and says, "Dwight, your face is glowing." And I said, "I know it." So I have no problem when somebody says, "Well, you can't believe the sign gifts are for today." Well, you'll never persuade me. I've seen the Lord heal too many people. I've had too many personal experiences. And yes, I have heard the audible voice of God one time in my life. Um, It wasn't here. It was here. And yet it was audible. And you say, how can that be? My answer is, I don't know. (laughs) All I know is it happened. One word called my name. And it's all. I needed it at the time. And the Lord did that. And the Lord also, um, I've been able to say I've had this personal experience. So um, we have th- that taking place um, and we find that uh, that manifestation was also upon Stephen. All right, I wanna switch gears just a little bit and have you turn to John chapter eight and the reason I've entitled the morning's message The Light of the World. I wanna compare some of the similarities between the Old Testament and the New Testament and um, things I've never seen before it bothers me to no end to hear that at a, a senior at Calvary Chapel's pastor's conference that they're being encouraged to no longer teach through the whole counsel of God and, um, and to tone it down when it comes to talking about the rapture. It breaks my heart. Uh, but just know this, it's not happening here. Instead of toning the drum down, I'm gonna get out the snare and the bass drum and do them both together. <laughs> And I'll be honest, guys, I, I, there's, when you do it that way, when you teach the whole counsel of God, you will see things you've never seen before. That is true with me this morning. I've seen things because of Wednesday night study verse by verse that I've never seen before. And I know it's the Lord that showed it to me. And the only way that that's gonna happen is you teach, and I wanna be able to stand before the Lord someday, just like Paul, and said so I gave him the whole counsel of God. That's my safety valve. Did not get off in these little hobby horse topical studies, and uh, so what I we found here this morning very very interesting that uh, in John chapter eight, uh, notice verse twelve. John's gospel is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels. John is different. There's no genealogies. Um, he chooses to write the Gospel of John around seven miracles and around seven I am statements. Um, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the door. But in verse 12 here, he said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I just want to make a simple point here. Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. And indeed he was and is uh, the embodiment Emmanuel God with us fully man fully god. Now let me take you back and remind you what happened uh, when right before the temple fell the light in the temple began to leave got up and it left and it went to the monavolas and as last the last that was seen of the Shekinah glory of God according to Ezekiel. Now, just like in Ezekiel's time, there were people who were grieved and believed the message that Ezekiel preached, but it was a, it was a majority that did not. The majority of the people rejected what was being said. The same is true with Jesus. In John 1, it says, Jesus is the true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So here we have, just like Ezekiel, the majority did not believe in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in chapter eight, if we read this whole chapter, it begins with the woman caught in adultery, and um, then Jesus says he's the light of the world in verse 12, and then the rest of the chapter, if you read it, is escalating. It begins with um, uh, Jesus and the Pharisees really getting into it to the point where they accuse him of being demon-possessed, that the... the um, Verse 49, the Jews answered and said to him, do do you not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That's tough talk. And Jesus said, I don't have a demon. I just honor my father and you just honor me. Amen. (laughs) And so we, we find this building and building and building and building. And it finally gets to the point where they start throwing down their trump card and say, look, we're sons of Abraham. That trumps everything. And the Lord's response to that is the Lord can turn stones in the sons of Abraham. And besides that, uh, talking about Abraham, um, you don't know Abraham, but I know him. Verse 55, and I say, if I say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I, I know him, and I keep his word, again, referring to his father. Uh, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. That stopped them in their tracks because he just said he saw Abraham. And they said to him, You're not even 50 years old. You're telling us you've seen Abraham? I don't think so. Then Jesus said, Most assuredly, if you have the King James, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, what does it say? I am in capital letters. It is the same I am, the Ego Amin, that was coming from the burning bush when Moses said, well, who should I say has sent me? And the Lord said, tell them I am sent me. Oh, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying because they considered it blasphemy and they took up stones, which was the penalty for blasphemy and they're gonna stone Jesus. verse 59, and they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and when he came out of the where? He came out of the temple going through the midst of them and he passed by. Here's where I want to start connecting some dots. Here is the light of the world and he's leaving the temple. Now I'm, I'm gonna keep those two thoughts and I gotta fill in a blank here. This was very, very interesting to me that Jesus is leaving the temple as the light of the world. Now, just as Ezekiel warned of the fall of Jerusalem, that was his whole job, his whole life. Jerusalem is gonna fall. And uh, Jerusalem, the temple in Solomon's time, fell on the ninth of Av. Remember that date? Because I'm gonna to refer to it again. Jesus in Luke 19 on Palm Sunday, is quoting Daniel. Also Psalm 118 is quoted. Psalm 18 is, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a messianic psalm. And the people were saying it. And the scribes and the Pharisees were listening and they say, teacher, rebuke these guys. They think you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, I can't. Because if they do, the prophecy has to come true. This is the day that the Lord has made. The very stones are are going to cry out if they keep quiet. So not only does he not reprove his disciples, he says, I can't because this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That was being fulfilled at that time. And then just like that, the emotions changed. Jesus sees Jerusalem. In verse 41, as he drew near the city, he began to weep over it saying, oh, if you had only known, especially even now, this your day, this was the day that Daniel pointed to, to the day, April 6, 32 AD, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Now here's the consequences. For the day will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. Level you and your children to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Implying what? They were supposed to know. Who was supposed to be telling them? The religious leaders. Ezekiel told the people in Jerusalem, this city is going to fall. Did it fall? It fell. Right before it fell, the glory of the Lord left. Now Jesus is doing the same thing that Ezekiel is doing. He's saying, this city is going to fall. He said it in 32 AD. 38 years later, in 70 AD, it happened just as Jesus warned that it would. All right, now let's go back. And this is where it gets interesting to me. Both Ezekiel says the temple's gonna fall. And um, now Jesus is saying, all these years later, the temple is gonna fall. And before the temple fell, the glory of the Lord left the temple and went to the Mount of Olives and that's the last you see of I think some of you are know, know where I'm going with this. When this was fulfilled 38 years later, Jesus is in heaven. In Acts chapter one, Jesus goes to where? the Mount of Olives and he's bodily taken up. What did he call himself? The light of the world. We have the light of the world leaving the temple in verse 59 and then we find him, the last time he's ever seen is on the Mount of Olives and he's taken into heaven and everybody sees it. Two angels appear and say, hey you guys from Galilee, why do you stand there gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, the one that you've seen taken up today, he's coming back again. Gang, that is our blessed hope. And uh, we call it the rapture of the church. Daniel also tells us to the day that Jesus is coming back the second time. Well, Dwight, the Bible says, no man knows the day or the hour. That's about the rapture. Nobody knows the day or the hour of the rapture, but read the last four verses of Daniel chapter 12. It tells you to the day, marking from the time of the abomination of desolation to the day Jesus is going to come. I hope you're not here during the tribulation, but just in case you are, get your calendar out and start marking off the days. When he says no man knows the day or the hour, it's a reference to the uh, rapture of the church that he says only his father knows. But I've, again, unless you're teaching through the word of God, I would have never connected these dots. the glory, of the temple, the warning before, it's gonna fall. Did it fall? Yes. But God's glory was last seen on the Mount of Olives. Jesus warned, because he didn't know the time they were supposed to, he weeps over it, and he says Jerusalem is gonna fall. It fell, 10th Roman Legion with Titus in 70 AD. And he's last seen departing, the last time people ever see him, is... On the Mount of Olives. I just find that interesting. And the only way you're going to see it, gang, is if you teach the whole counsel of God. Good place for an amen. It's the only way you'll see it. All right, I have two closing thoughts, which means I at least have three or four, right? In Ezekiel's time, there were two kinds of people. Those who believed God's word and were grieved to tears, and they were marked. They looked at their nation, and it, they were just grieved, And God said, put a mark on those guys. And there were those who heard God's word and didn't believe, and what happened to them? They perished. Let's make the comparison today. Jesus is called the light of the world, but do you know that he called you the light of the world too? He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, so don't cover it up and hide it. Let your light shine. Because you are now the light of the world. Not only that, Paul tells us, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? It was one time in a tabernacle, but now we're, we are the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3.16. And you've also been marked, so to speak. And 2 Corinthians one twenty two says you were sealed And has given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee the Lord wants you to know for sure that you're going to heaven because he's giving you the Holy Spirit in advance but then in Ephesians 1.13 it said "In him who you also trusted after you heard the word of truth in other words they heard the gospel Jesus loves you God loves the world Uh, he came and took your sin and then he gave you his righteousness so that you, you're, you're as white as snow as, uh, as you can possibly be. You're a virgin. Um, I did a wedding yesterday. And as the bride is curling forward, I leaned over to, to Paul. And I says, isn't she beautiful? And he says, she sure is. <laughs> and uh, he was looking at his bride. And um, I had tears in his eyes. And it was just a, just a glorious thing. Well, that's how the Lord looks at you. You're as white as snow. Righteous, you have Jesus' righteousness. We call it the great exchange. He took my sin, and he gave me his righteousness. Anybody that doesn't take that for a free gift, you're a fool. I don't mean to insult you, it's just the fact. <laughs> that he's willing to take all of my sins, wipe the slate clean, and then on top of that, give me his righteousness. You know, um, when we get to Israel, we're going to get to Bet-Sheen. And 24,000 men died at Bet-Sheen. You know why? The Ark of the Covenant was going by. And the men of Bet-Sheen went down and took a peek inside. They all died. You can't go behind the veil of the temple where the Holy of Holies except once a year and you have to be the high priest. If you go back there, you're a dead man. And the first thing that happened when Jesus died on the cross is he ripped that veil from the top to the bottom, and now we're told to come boldly into his presence. Well, how can you do that? I'm the temple. Jesus lives in me, and Jesus lives in you. And it says when you hear that gospel, then you believe, then you're sealed, and by the Holy Spirit of promise, the seal gang is a mark. You're marked. So the comparison here is that in Ezekiel's time, the ones who believed the word of God, they got the mark and they were saved. Those who did not believe the word of God, they did not get the mark and they perished. And it's interesting to me to to see the old and the new come together and the importance of, of what Amir was saying important that yes, we talk about the love of God and the grace of God But with the times in in which we're living, um, it's imperative. It's so important that we of all people should be able to explain to the rest of the world what's really happening in the Middle East. He just, Amir made a little allusion to, you know, Damascus is next. Everybody at Calvary here understood what he said. But I can tell you that 90% of the rest of the church that's out there today doesn't have a clue of what Isaiah chapter 17 verse one says. It says Damascus will become a a ruinous heap and it'll never be inhabited again. And it's the oldest city in the world that's been continually inhabited. So it hasn't been fulfilled yet. So what Amir is saying, that's the next thing on the schedule and Russia and Iran are flexing their their military muscles. We should be able to explain to them. And let me just say this. It doesn't matter how young a, a, a baby Christian is to talk about Bible prophecy. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2. Thessalonians, Paul was there less than a month, and he taught them the doctrine of the rapture of the church, the Antichrist, the day of the Lord, the tribulation, he did that all in First Thessalonians and um, he talks about in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. He's talking about um, uh, the great tribulation period. Um, he tells us to watch in 5, 6, and 7 and, um, and then verse 9, he says, God has not appointed us to wrath. That's a reference to the rapture. And then verse 11, because of the rapture, he says, Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another just as you are doing. That's exactly what Amir said. The rapture is our blessed hope. And we of all people are children of, of the day, not of the night. And we should be well qualified to explain the chronological order of what's happening in the Middle East right now. Now Zechariah 12 said, two says that I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup of trembling in those days. What's the number one issue in the world today? And what is uh, um, the UN talking about right now? They want to make East Jerusalem their capital. And so that's a big debate that's going on overworld leaders right now. All right, uh, chapter two, Second Thessalonians. Just as the presence of God was removed from the earth before judgment, just as Jesus was removed and taken to heaven before the temple fell in 70 AD, I believe the pattern continues with the church Before the great tribulation, uh, picking it up in verse 3, he says, don't let anybody deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The day of the Lord. The great tribulation. It's not going to come unless the falling away comes first. Bible teachers are divided over this because the wording there in the Greek is apostasy or apostasia. And it could mean false teaching. I agree with that. Dr. Tommy Ice is a strong believer that the word in the Greek actually means being carried away and it's a reference to the rapture. And if you have either one of those views, I, you have no debate with me because I believe both could be true. But um, the falling away comes first. I see that in the church to way, the falling away from sound doctrine, even in the Calvin chapels, sad to say. And then the next thing, the next thing right after the, That And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And we're giving some details about him. It says he goes into the temple. And we call that the abomination of desolation. And he sits there showing himself that he's God. And Paul, I mean, lighten up, Paul. They're only three weeks old in the Lord. He says, don't you guys remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? If I'm one of the guys in the pew, I say, cut some meat. Cut me some slack, Paul. I'm three weeks old in the Lord, and but no, He expects them to hang on to this stuff, and then He says, and I want you to know what is restraining, that He may be revealed in His own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains will do so until He is taken out of the way. Somebody stopped me between the, this service after the first service, and they said this to me. I quoted about uh, fourth grade education and being required to have the teachers talk to the fourth graders or kindergartners about what's their sexual identity. And this woman was so upset, she says, is that happening in Appleton? I says, I don't know, I'm gonna have to check my notes. And um, um, she says, I'm going to go. Out. If this happened here, I'm going to go out and get my pitchfork and stand out in front of the school. <laughs> I don't know if she has a pitchfork, but that's what she said. But my point is this: she was upset, and she was going to do something about it. I call that restraining. Imagine there's no Christians anymore here, and we have these laws going through. There's going to be nothing for all hell to break loose on this planet. So when I read this, verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he, the he there, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Okay? But where did Paul say the Spirit of God dwells? You're the temple. It's in you. So I read this, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains, you and me, will do so, will be a restraining force, until, until what? We're taken out of the way. How are we taken out of the way? That's what Amir was talking about, the blessed hope, the rapture of the church. And when we're gone in a moment and twinkling of an eye, who's gonna be restraining right from wrong? The floodgates of hell will be open because true born-again believers are really the only one. And um, I like the passion of Amir. And I have a Calvary Chapel pastor Tell other Calvary Chapel pastors at a pastor's conference to tone down the prophecy drum. It's not appealing to the young people. Amir's right. Our young people want to know what in the world's going on. And we of all people need to be able to sit and down and say, "Son, this is really what's happening. This is not about Russia becoming and taking over the world. That's not happening. Russia is going to be five, six destroyed. Tell them the numbers. Take them to Ezekiel thirty-nine, verse one. In the King James, it says when Russia comes against Israel, five-six of them are going to be uh, killed on the mountains of Israel, and one-six are going to hightail it back home. And then when they get home, he's going to drop fire on where they came from. That's what's going to happen to Putin, and that's what's going to happen to Russia. And nothing's going to change it. God said it; it's going to happen. Good peace for the Amen. So. In closing, Dwight, you said we were closing three times. In closing, like Amir said, we don't want to give a prophetic message without sharing a simple gospel. And so let's turn. And this is, this is what I gave this couple in the wedding yesterday as um, a foundation to build upon. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There's wise people and there's foolish people. Wise people listen to the word of God and apply it. Foolish people listen to the word of God and don't do anything with it. One of the guys who was the best man pulled me aside. You guys in the second service get all this extra information that is not part of the first. I didn't know where the best man was at, so I'm trying to feel him out a little bit. Where's this guy at? And um, uh, we began small chatting and um, I said, so, where do you go to church? He says, I go to a cowboy church. A cowboy church? He says, yeah, I got a, I got a drug and alcohol ministry, too, that, that I do in, in Nashville. And I, well, that spoke volumes, so I began to tell him about the bikers. Tommy's right here, he's part of the biker church, and I told him a little bit about Tommy, the president of Bikers for Christ, and that you guys have your own church on Sunday evening, and all of a sudden I realized this guy's really solid. He's a solid born again uh, believer and he's a wise man and we just, we just clicked from that moment on because I really didn't know where he, where he was at. But when I got to the message part, basically the message was simple. I says one rule for the husband, one rule for the wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And if you do that, You're wise. Then I took him to this verse and I will close with this this morning. Matthew 7, verse 24. It's Jesus and his words. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, to them yesterday I stopped and I said, you just heard what God's word has to say about husbands and wives. You're either gonna do it or you're not. If you do it, well then you're wise. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And then the rains descended. Well, what's that? I don't care. Mirandy uh, was spot on with his song, and I'm going to buy his T-shirt. <laughs> Life's hard. Troubling. Troubling times. But God is good. So what is it we read here? The floods came. That's difficult days. If you're walking the walk, um, according to the words of Jesus, life is going to be hard. He said so said the way that's easy is the broad way. leads to destruction. The hard way is the narrow way, but it leads to life. He who builds his house on a rock, the, ra- the rains ascended, the floods came. really got beat up on, but it didn't fall because it was founded on a rock. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them, Ezekiel talked to everybody in Jerusalem. Everybody heard him, and they had a choice to make handful got marked. The rest of them perished. And they were fools for not listening to the word of God. Because the word of God came to pass just like Ezekiel said it would. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. It's not that they don't hear the word. They just don't do it. James says we're to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Another good place for an amen. And when He's a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains descended, floods came, and the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Christians are not exempt from difficulties in life. Matter of fact, I think you're going to have more because my Bible says the world's going to hate me just because I am. So um, in closing this up this morning, just a word of encouragement like a mirror. If you've never Give in your heart and your life 100% to the Lord. Don't wait another day. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If I wasn't sure that my name's in the book of life, I would not cross that street out there because I might get killed doing so. And I understand what the consequences would be if I died in my sins. And you would be a fool to turn down the greatest gift that mankind has ever been offered. And that is that Jesus really did die for every one of your sins. Your slate is clean if you accept that gift. If you harden your heart and don't, you're this foolish guy right here who's heard it, but for whatever reason you're saying no. The Lord looks at the heart, and he knows where you stand with him. So if you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior know this, he loves you. And there isn't anything you've ever done or said that he can't wipe away and make clean. Amen? Let's stand on close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And um, we thank you for the similarities that we see between Ezekiel, your glory, and you being the light of the world. And uh, Lord, uh, just the deeper that we go with you in your word, that the deeper it becomes, and we thank you for that. So I pray for those here this morning as we go our way that you bless the rest of our week, the rest of our time, and thank you so much for your word that brings stability and help us, Lord, build that house on your solid rock of this book. In Jesus' name, amen.